G'day, thanks for joining the Heights Church Podcast today. We hope you enjoy our message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Gorston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. One of the great video clips, I, I think, in the early 2000s was the footage of the coal miners uh, leaving the Beaconsfield mine. I don't know whether you remember that. They were trapped for 14 days uh, in this collapsed mine. Um, and it was an unforgettable scene of them emerging and ripping their name tags off the wall. So apparently they put their name tags on a wall. Uh, they go down in the mine and they take their name tags off. That seems weird, doesn't it? I guess when you're down in a mine, what do you need a name tag on for? Everyone kind of knows your, your name. So, but as you can see, it was a, a very emotional time for these guys as they ripped their tag. Now, now I kind of recognise why they put their tags on. And so they put their tags on so they know who's down in the mine who hasn't come out yet. That's the reason why they do that. So the, the miners knew that there was nothing of their own doing that got them out of that mine. They were destined to death without other miners setting out to save them. And that's what happened. They said 10 years later on 60 Minutes interview uh, that they were survivors, not heroes. The heroes were the people who got them out. They knew that they were saved from death. They knew that on their initial exit. In their excitement, they cheered and, and put their hands up in the air and we're out and we, we conquered all. But they knew that it wasn't them, it was someone else and gratitude showed everywhere that they went after that. Now using the word saved in that context is a lot like how the Bible in Romans uses the term. You see, when we use saved... In all kind of contexts, we use it differently, don't we? Like, So, for example, I saved you some cake. Maybe I rescued myself from the high cholesterol that I would get from having that saved. But I saved a seat for you. I was saved by the bell. I was saved in the nick of time. But let me tell you, the miners absolutely certainly understood the term saved in the way the Bible presents it. See, how frustrating would it be for you to sit there and not be able to contribute anything to your salvation? They tried to shore up the ground around them, but I'm sure that was probably just a device by the psych people to try to keep them occupied while they were waiting for things to happen. Religion in all its forms strives to please a deity, to win the favour of that deity, to shore up the ground around them, no matter what religion that you're, you're following. In the case of Israel, they had the one and only true God. They failed, though, or they were really kind of confused that his favour, their salvation, was not earned but freely given. So what did they do? They set out to try to shore up the ground around them. They confused zeal with knowledge. And as a result, they become fanatical. I don't know whether you've seen fanatical people before. I definitely have. Surfers can be fanatical, that's for sure. You can get a buy it. Well, I don't know whether you can buy it now, but you could buy it one time. You could buy surfing is my religion sticker and put it on the back of your combi. You see that in all the sports. And I don't know whether I've... Am I on still? Yep. Uh, I don't know whether that's... Uh, oh, you see that in all the sports where people 
are so fanatical about what's going on around them, they build themselves up for what they're going to do within the sporting world. When I was at Roti, uh, it was really big. And, uh, and, I, and I, I'm, you're saying, I'm saying that as a person who's surfed in some pretty big surf before, but it was big. Uh, so at a, at a minimum, the wave was about high as the speaker, but at a maximum, it was about as high as the, uh, as the light. Uh, it was right up there. And Cody and I are sitting out there, and we kind of laugh about it now, but, uh, and a couple of other guys, and this guy, guy comes paddling along. He couldn't even paddle at all. So normally you have a certain stroke that you're paddling, and, and I'm not it, so you've got to look at someone else. But uh, it, where you can see the strength in their paddling and, and the person's determined to do that. Well, this guy is like a turtle on this board and, and just flapping around. And, and, and he had a life jacket on. And he's out there. I'm panicking. Because when it gets as high as the, the speaker, I'm okay. When it's as high as the light, I'm not. And, uh, and you're looking out to sea going, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to die. I'm gonna, you know. and, and, well, you don't actually think that. But you, you kind of... When a big one comes in, you know you're going to get nailed on it. You sit there and go, oh, what am I doing here? Well, the problem is, though, is that if you've got a life jacket on, what, what you do under a big wave is that you sit there and you dive all the way to the bottom. You grab hold of a hunk of coral and you just wait and everything just goes by and then you look up and you go, ooh, floating up the surface, right? Just a bit like that. <laughs> and, and, and so what happens is that if you've got a life jacket on, you're like a cork. And this guy just goes floating on into... Tealand Reef. And no doubt he would never be as enthusiastic again to paddle out into that time. See, his zeal of getting out there amongst it was confused with knowledge. And this is what they say in verse 2. Uh, uh, this is what Paul says. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Israel was so zealous to serve God, quite literally, they made their zeal their religion. They had 10 festivals and holidays, and we thought we were the land of the long weekend. They got the holidays over and over. So basically, they're prepared every single time. I was talking to Jason not so long ago. There's a festival on in India that you could go to every week. You wouldn't have to work at all. I asked him whether, did the bosses give you time off from working? Yeah. So you can just go, oh, well, I go to this festival, I go to this festival, I go to this festival. Next thing you know, you're not working at all. <laughs> then the religious liturgy, and you know the liturgy they went through for sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice and prayer time after prayer time after prayer time. And Paul wants to point out that God doesn't want their religious sacrifice. God wants their relationship. A relationship from their heart. They were confusing zeal with knowledge. They confused doing stuff with humbling receiving from God. And as a result of that, there was this subtraction and addition kind of law thing that went out. They kind of, it was called, they built a tent around their law. They built kind of like a, a boundary around things so that you couldn't possibly break the rule. You had six or seven rules to get to before you broke the rule. You know what it's like on a computer, don't you? When you go to delete something that you should never delete, they say, do you want to delete this? And then you press it again and go, yes. And then it goes, do you sure you really want to delete this? And then you go, yes. And then you go, then we're going to send you a text message on the end of your phone to say that you're going to delete this. And eventually you press it, delete, and you go, oh, what did I do? I shouldn't delete that. But what happens around the law is that they just built this tent so that you could never, ever, ever get out of it. So, for example, you might not 
be allowed, which is not the case, but you won't be allowed to see a movie, but we'll make it so that you can't go to the area, no, that you not even can't go to the area, no, you can't leave the house and not think, next thing you know, you have to be actually doing things in the house on that day rather than going to the movie. So it's this, you could never get to the point where she broke a law, broke a law, broke a law, broke a law. They had that and then they had additions and then they had subtractions where you can't do things but you have to do things and this is what Paul says about it since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness Christ is the end of the law so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes We're going to talk about that word righteousness in uh, Romans Bible study that we have on Wednesday nights, but there's, it's complex. It's not just a righteousness as in like a moral and ethical right living. It's a holiness from God. It's also a standard that God expects. But God gives freely through Jesus. So he makes us right with him, that we can stand before the judge knowing that it's paid for. Colossians says this, such regulations, the law, indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Regulations and rules don't work. The supreme irony of it all that the law did not and could not work and it was meant to point to Israel, not that they would religiously and zealously keep it. They would recognise they can't. What was meant to be a recipe for right living only turned out to be a recipe for guilt. And religion piles that upon people so that people are doing things rather than humbly receiving. Christ is the end of the law and it points us to Christ who is the only answer. They were not only confused with that, they were confused with trying and trusting and the result of trying and trying and trying and trying and trying is what do you think? It's burnout. Moses is described this way in, in verses 5 to 8. Moses describes it this way. Uh, the righteousness that comes from the law, the man who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ from the dead. But what it does say is this, that the word is near you and it's in your mouth and in your heart. So stop trying and reach to God. I don't know whether you've ever tried to open a door that is just jammed shut painted shut and you cannot get in there and so you try to devise every method that you possibly can to open the door without any success. John 10 says this, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Basically, it says this, as you come in to worship today and worship together and to 
enjoy living the Christian life together. There is a door that you needed to enter through and it's not that one. It's not the door into your car. It's not the door that you come out of the house. The door that you needed to enter into worship is Jesus. And it's opened by the Holy Spirit and you walk in and inside you can find pasture and you can find worship and you can find freedom of trying and doing that can release you from the guilt of not having achieved. But rest in Jesus who has achieved. It's open. The door is opened by Jesus through his death. And when the church realises that truth, change happens from the inside out. But it will never happen from the outside in. The key to opening that, that door is talked about in chapter in verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. If you confess, I cannot do it. I cannot get there because I need Salvation, I need to be saved. And it doesn't matter whether I shore up the ground around me and make it so that I'm not sinning massively anymore. I'm already there. I'm already stuck. And I need salvation from the one who went down into that grave and came up with me in salvation. Many of us refer to Jesus as our saviour, but... In doing so, we're essentially acknowledging Jesus has complete control in our lives, both present and in the future. And with the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we come to a deep understanding that Jesus is not only the Saviour, but he's our ultimate Lord. He wants what's good for us. He wants to guide us. He wants to lead us to the place that he wants us to get to. Belief is grounded in the remarkable victory, though, isn't it, over death. That as he is risen to new life, he rises with us. And so we're told in Colossians, we are seated with him at God's right hand and we live with him. But ultimately, people are scared of the word Lord because they think that supreme sovereignty, most of the time, means tyranny. And Aussies have this big problem with this probably because of our convict past or something like that, but, but that's, if someone is in complete control of our life, it means tyranny. But we need to go back to that, the verses that I shared in chapter 8, that he has adopted us and we are heirs of his bounty of goodness and grace. And while he might be our Lord, we trust that and believe in him that he is going to lead us to the places. Not that we'll bring blessing after blessing after blessing, but we'll be blessed in his presence wherever he leads us. Sometimes he might get us to lead us into places where we'll be absolutely persecuted. Sometimes, like the, like the apostles, we'll be led to places where maybe our life is even suffering for it. Other times there'll be places where... We'll, we will make decisions that are not going to be the massive financial benefit that we're going through in the future, but we're led there knowing that as we go through 
our life and Jesus is Lord, that he's leaving, that we are blessed in his presence. Listen to these words. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord of all reaching, uh, richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on Jesus as your Lord, it means to live the way he wants. It means to allow him to guide you. It means to place him first above all. And he will not put you to shame. You will be blessed. You will be called his people. And because he's your Lord, you'll be saved. And once we experience that, we will remember. We won't need reminding that God uses his saved people like Israel was to be a blessing to all the other nations. We are to be a blessing to those around us. Not just by giving of material things, not by, just by helping out. The blessing of allowing someone the knowledge of the good news of salvation. We see the cycle, how that happens. How then can they call on the one who they're not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they're not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless someone's sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My feet aren't beautiful. And in fact, if I wear the same shoes long enough, they're definitely not beautiful. Although Archie thinks that they're beautiful because he comes and licks them all the time. God's message, good news, is really about the one who travels the distance to tell the good news. It's about the ones who stand up and say that, I know what Jesus is saying and what God's saying. Maybe like a priest in some sort of ways. The priests during those Old Testament times were the ones who declared God to the people, who declared the goodness of God, the knowledge of God, the, the, the workings of God to people. Maybe for you, you sit there and go, do you want to be a priest? That's one of the distinctives of the Baptist church is that we're the priesthood of all believers. We're messengers that reads the king's message. The good news that he has proclaimed. The reality is, is that if we don't share the message, people won't know. Subconsciously, when I was at school, I thought that if I got in enough detentions and got into the headmaster's office or, or kept, us, kept aside during lunch, I, I must have subconsciously thought that all of that knowledge would sink in then I'd pass exams. Because I'm in the educational world. I'm in the halls, the great hallowed halls of the uh, hallways, spending most of my time in the library or whatever it might be. But what happens is we recognise that sometimes we think for our neighbours that way. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. That's for sure. But they won't know about Jesus' salvation unless we tell them, unless someone preaches to them. And you might think, I can't speak. Moses thought that. Aaron got, uh, got the call. But there's other ways in which, if you read, want to read a good book, John Dixon's Promoting the Gospel is a good book. 
Because maybe you can't preach, but you can promote it in different ways, can't you? You can bring somebody to church. You can bring somebody to youth group. You can bring somebody to a place where they're going to sit under God's message. You know that they're going to sit under God's message. Not just meet Christians. There are, there are times where I will say from the front, if you invite somebody here tonight, they will hear the gospel. I, I promise you they'll hear the gospel. And we'll preach that so that you, when you work up the guts to invite them along, maybe you, just, you give money to evangelistic Outreaches or things like that. I know some an older lady who used to come along, and I'm, I've mentioned it before. Um, when I ran uh, fairly big concerts for Southern Highlands for area Deanery, um, for all the youth ministries there, uh, big concerts, and there probably would have been about a thousand people that would come along from all the area, from, up from Kiama and all those places that would go along. And so we had these big concerts, and there was going to be a gospel message. And this older lady from St Thomas's. Barrel, I think it's St. Thomas, St. Jude's Barrel, uh, would come along and she would pray out the back right throughout the whole concert and the time that was speaking. That's promoting the gospel. She didn't speak to any of the young people who were there. But she prayed that God's message would go out in all strength and power. For someone to believe about Jesus, they have to hear about God's grace. In order to hear about God's grace, someone has to proclaim it and preach to it. And since God is the one who speaks through his servants, we are his servants and he'll speak through us. So when called upon, we speak. And let me say, there's no shame in saying, I don't know all the answers, but let's find out together and travel together. Two are the ones who were sent. Us. It was definitely the prophets and the apostles preaching the Bible. And it is pastors and youth ministers and those who stand up and preach the gospel or run the classes. But we're told to go into the, all the world and preach the gospel. We're told to go all, into all the world and make disciples, baptising them in the name of Jesus. And I've got to ask myself, will I tell my friends... Will I tell my neighbour? Will I tell that guy out in the surf? Will I tell the person on the cricket field? So you distract them and they drop the ball? No. So will you tell somebody? Will you invite your friends to Bible study? That youth Bible study that's meeting tonight, invite your friends to that. Unashamedly. Night church, invite your friends to night church. This church in the morning, invite your friends here unashamedly. And I promise that over the course of the time, they will hear the gospel, the good news. But sadly, in doing that, we're not responsible for someone to accept it. We read, but not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed the message? People are are suspicious and they're suspicious of grace. People still want to contribute to their salvation. Oh, I'm a good person and I think at the end I will be accepted into heaven because of all the good things that I've done. And that's not trite. People genuinely are good people. Genuinely. And yet they don't realise that that doesn't get them to the place that they want to get to at the end of it. We're suspicious of grace. 
Nowadays it gets even more, doesn't it, when phone calls happen with scamming after scamming after scamming. And you hear sometimes on, on TV you know, where someone's phoned up and said, oh, you've won the lottery. And go, yeah, 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 right. And uh, no, no, they, and they hang up. And they ring, no, no, right, it's, <laughs> you actually have. Well, it's like that free holiday that you win that you never ever believed that you ever got. But at the end of the day, it's not deserved, Jesus and his grace. And we get it. And the phone call happens from in the Bible and through your mouth. And we have to pray that people realise they get past all of it and they can see God reaching out to them. Reaching people is God's priority. Psalm 19 says this, this is our close. He is preparing the hearts for your message. They're going to hear. But did I ask? But, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, into the ends of the world. Isaiah boldly says, I, have found, I, am, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. We're going to talk about next week that God is persistent. He is constantly calling his people to be with him. And there will be some people who go, no. But there will be some people who go, yeah, I want it. I want a life with Jesus. And as Isaiah says, I, I didn't ask for people to believe my message. I didn't go out. No. And neither do we. God goes before and he speaks to people's hearts through his spirit. And he softens, as we'll talk about next week, the hardest of hearts so that the impossible can happen. The hardest people can become soft and accept the message of Jesus. One of the great times of my life was when I was in Parramatta Jail, not as a prisoner, playing football. And one prisoner who was a hardened guy that was never going to see the light of day ever in his life says, I want Jesus. Because every time playing football during halftime, they all went and got oranges and drinks. We sat in the middle of the field and preached the gospel to them. And one guy says, why do you do that? And I said, because it's so important. So important that you would know about God's love. And this guy who was hard as hard can get Softened by the Holy Spirit, gave his life to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, gave his life to God. That can be your friend. That can be your family member. That can be that person at school. That can be that person at work. That could be that person in community that just wants to know the answer but doesn't know where to find it. Skeptical, can walk into church and God can transform their life and change them. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that. Uh, you have done everything, Lord. And we pray for the times that we have thought in a way that we need to shore up the ground around us just in case. Maybe it was for zealous, uh, being zealous about following laws and rules and regulations. Maybe it's even in some people's case enforcing laws, rules and regulations in families. Or, so people get confused. 
I pray, Lord, that we recognise that it's you who saves. We pray, Lord, and give you thanks that you have softened our heart. And for those hearts that are hard, I pray that you would soften them and that they might take a step. And even though, Lord, it might be a scary one, I pray, Lord, that they would recognise that your desire is to lead them to green pastures, to places where you can walk with them and guide them throughout life as their Lord and Saviour to the end where they stand before you, the risen Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Give a raise to our feet.